What's up, everybody? This episode today is brought to you by Steady Grounds Coffee Company and what is now going to be called the Nomad Dark Roast Blend. By the time this episode comes out, we actually probably won't be releasing it yet, but next week I think we are. So just a little background for you on these guys. They're run by a good friend of mine, George Adams, and his wife, CT, and it's amazing small batch roasted to order coffee down in Mississippi. They have two other blends. They have the Jumpstart. They have the Mississippi Midnight, which will punch you straight in the face. And uh, we've been really working hard on this Nomad blend that I'm really excited about and should be out to you guys, you know, at the time of release of this episode within weeks. And uh, I really wanted to just do something with, first of all, a friend of mine who makes amazing coffee. And secondly, just to to do something with, to partner with somebody that's a friend and and make something that I really want to consume lots of as well in this coffee. And so they're, again, both other blends, the Jumpstart and the Mississippi Midnight are amazing, amazing coffee. And I'm not just saying that, like it literally is some of the best stuff I've ever had. So go check them out, steadygroundscoffeeco.com. If you, if the Nomad stuff is not up when you go to check it out, it should be soon. But if not, make sure you grab one of the other two blends. I promise it's amazing. No matter what style of coffee you like to make, if it's Chemex, if it's French press, uh, I have a percolator, I've done percolator stuff. Or if you grind it real fine, you do espresso, you pull espresso shots, all of it, really great stuff. So go check out steadygroundscoffeeco.com. And then finally we have Selway Archery and I've not talked about them and Drew and, and everything in the Kohlhofer family several times on the pod. And they just make awesome traditional archery quivers. Uh, mine is the rawhide quiver where he laser engraved the Nomad Strength logo on it, which is awesome. Uh, if you want the rawhide ones, they're amazingly high quality. Also has plastic hood options, but small town, you know, it's made for hunters, by hunters, and uh, people that really put a lot of care into what they do. So. That's going to be it for, and, and selwayarcheryproducts.com is the link for that. I'll also have all these links in the show notes. So this episode today, I am really pumped about bringing you guys because we are having the return of friend of mine, coach Luke Day, who is the head strength and conditioning coach for football at the University of South Carolina. And, you know, based on download numbers, Luke's previous, previous episode where Luke was on is one of the most popular episodes we've done in the 220 episodes that we've had so far. So I was really excited to get him back in here and uh, just to catch up, but to get some more classic Luke Day wisdom and insight. And it was a really fun conversation because there's a lot of things that have changed in the college football space since the last time that we were talking with the NIL, with the NIL thing and uh, you know high turnover rate. Guys are only sticking around for one year transfer portal stuff. So I, I wanted to kind of get his insight into how all of that has been affecting how they operate you know, as an organization, how he approaches building culture in a team when you have a much shorter timeline for a group of guys to be together. And it was all really interesting stuff about how to create culture, find leaders, and then uh, and build something that hopefully is successful around that in such a short such a short period of time. Then we also talked a lot about the struggle well mantra that Luke, that Luke has uh, embraced and used um, in his man-child media business for shirts and kind of this slogan that 
has really permeated a lot of areas of his life. And so we talked a lot about that and how to apply that to parenting also, which is a really fascinating part of the conversation. So there's just so much stuff here. That's gonna, there's gonna be so many nuggets. I could I could do 20 second clips of about 30 different spots of this show, but I, I think you should just really enjoy all the fun conversation and insight that comes from this one. So thank you guys again, sign up for the newsletter. If you haven't done that, that'll be linked in, in the podcast notes as well. And without further ado, let's get into it with Luke Day, part two. everybody welcome back today we have the return of luke day luke was oh man it was like you were that early first couple months last time you were on the show when we came out it's been like a year and a half yeah i want to say that first episode two we're on yeah two years ago two almost two years yeah it was just crazy and i can't believe it's been that long that i've been doing this show first of all which is wild but uh i'm pumped to be able to talk to you and catch up again we've caught up a couple of times at Sorenex events in between the last recording and now, but man, there's a lot of stuff that I would love to get into with you. But first of all, just thanks for making time, man. I'm pumped oh, just to catch course, up with man. you. After Thank a while. you. Thank you. I'm glad you're, you're still creating them and you're still doing your thing and it's good to see you're doing a good work. So thanks for letting me be a part of it again. Yeah, man, for sure. I appreciate that. Well, and we were kind of, you know, briefly talking before you guys are wrapping up stuff uh, post season uh, right now down in down in South Carolina coming into the new change of the year. And yesterday was portal day and just people going all over the place, all over the country. And it's kind of crazy because uh, like I had mentioned before, last time we had talked, none of this stuff was really like into effect yet with the NIL and how, you know, how much of an impact the transfer portal thing played. But I'm curious, just like, I mean, is it tough from a culture building standpoint to really build something in a sustainable manner when you have such high turnover year after year now? Well, you just have to define, you know, you have to reconsider what you mean about sustainable and basically Mm. everything, every season is a one year story is where you have to look at it. Your roster is going to turn over by at least 40% um, every January. So just between guys declaring for the draft, guys graduating, um, and then guys transferring, and then new freshmen coming in, either enrolling mid-year or in uh, June, and then um, transfers that you're bringing into your program, you can expect, you know, around 30 to 40 guys leaving and 30 to 40 guys coming. So, you know, we always take it very serious in those last couple weeks of a season because it'll never be like that again, that collection of people. And not just players, but staff and graduate assistants find full-time roles and interns move on. It's never that same collection of people. So you try to bottle up and capture what that experience was with that group of people because it's going to be different. So you have the same over, you know, banner arching themes and beliefs and the way you want the the thing to feel like, but it's going Mm -hmm. to, it's unavoidably different because the people and the cast members will be different 
every January. And that's just, that's the new reality of things. That's, you're not going to have your same team and you, excluding 16 seniors. And then you bring in 15 new freshmen and, but everything else is exactly the same. Those days are over completely. over. So, and I'm curious too, just from, I, I don't know if there's actual data on this yet. Like a lot of the guys that do end up transferring out. Cause I'm thinking, you know, guys that stick around in a program that end up being, you know, captains and kind of seen as team leaders. Cause they've been there. Mm-hmm. Are, is it a lot of the older guys that end up transferring out or is it kind of those first and second year guys that move on if they find out they don't like it? So then you actually end up the guys that stick around are there, you know, the guys that are leaders are because they've been there for that long. It's, kind um, of a thing. It, it's a, it's a mix of everything. It's, you know, yeah. there's, there's story guys that are not getting the playing time they want or thought they were going mm. to. Um, and so they're going to transfer guys that were playing at a lower level and are playing really well. And, yeah, you know, probably they're going they're good. Their services will be in high demand um, at a, at the at the next at a higher level of, of sure. college football. So that that's a big thing. And you know, usually those guys are younger. Then you know, quarterbacks are a different situation. If you have a team with three or four really good quarterbacks and only one of them is going to play, well, you know, those guys are they can be tremendous people, but they have to they want a chance to get on the field. So. I don't, it's, it's never, there's, uh, it's a moving thing. It's, there's guys that come in and they have multiple years, you know, you used to know you'd come in and you'd walk into a a weight room or a practice and you'd see, and you'd know who the seniors were. And that's just not, that's not the case. Like, you're like, uh, I can't, I think he's got, especially like we were talking before is, you know, I think he still has a COVID year. Um, is he a senior or he's a super senior? That guy's a super duper senior. No, that guy's only a sophomore. So it's, it's your leaders are 100% personality type, you know, they really are regardless of age. Yeah. Well, and really your leaders are the most influential people, whether they want to be leading or not, or think that they are, they're leading us all somewhere. It might not be the right place, but if you're the most influential person in the room, you are the leader, like, yeah. Whether you have the title or not. So, in that shortened time frame, where you now you said like every year is its own deal. Like, how do you go about identifying those guys and making sure they're the ones that are doing, you know, the actual leading instead of kind of getting, you know, maybe they're young, so they're like kind of not in the mix yet, kind of in the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, if I if I had that market cornered of how to do that well, you know, <laughs> I'd have all the answers, but. I'm trying, I'm a firm believer that you are close to people that you've spent a whole bunch of time with and and you've shared some, uh, either it's a memorable experience, a really, really difficult experience, um, failure or successes. If you have those shared experiences, they're like strings that tie your heartstrings to their heartstrings. Um, and so you've got like 90 days to try to create the most memorable time together as you can to see how just knotted up and tight that we can get. So, but and you, you, you are forcing, you're forcing um, human relationship at the speed of a college football calendar. <laughs> That's what you're trying to do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is a crazy way to think about yeah. it with how much happens in that short yeah. amount of time. Mm-hmm. 
That's wild. And I remember from last time talking and just from what I know about some of the things that you had in place last time we talked from a system perspective about how to build a team and making sure guys are connected and bought in and stuff. I'm, I'm curious as like, has any of that aspect of what you guys are doing changed because of now this shortened time frame of stuff, because you're like, maybe we don't have even two years to kind of go take this, somebody through this system, you know? So has that changed how you guys do stuff in that regard? It's changing daily. It's changing hour to hour. Um, You can Mm. go, you're the dynamic of your locker room and the way your building feels on Friday is different on Monday after a weekend. Like, I don't know how it's like a breathing, growing, living greenhouse thing Mm. is that is your team. And it's either it's getting closer or it's getting resentful of each other. It's, it's getting tighter or it's, it's, there's growing disdain. And so you have to have this like, restless, never ending attempt. I'm not saying that we have it, but an attempt to have a pulse on how are we doing with each other right now um, Mm -hmm. all the time. And it's like I said, I'm trying at the, at the speed of, you know, survival to figure out how to do that best. And it's really, it's, there's, there's no algorithm to it. There's no leadership book. There's no workbook. There's no guest um, leadership guru to bring in and speak to your team in the team room. It is one conversation at a time. It is one interaction. You know, Chip, it's here. That's how he defines culture. It's the sum total of every interaction in your building. Um, and so when people say, oh, you got a good culture, well, if you're defining it as the sum total of every interaction, well, it's foolish to say that every interaction is perfect and clean and, you know, exactly how you want it to be. There's there are misses. There are yeah. there are hurts. There are offenses. There are problems. It's it's when you let them fester that they get that things get out of hand. And then people think, you know, from an outsider's perspective, which you know, they have really no idea what's going on. Anybody about anybody else's building. It's just like someone else's living room. You don't know what is actually happening in someone's house. But when you see, oh, it looks like a lot of people are leaving. Oh, it looks like, you know, people are disgruntled or whatever. That's all a product of a lack of, you know, communication or worse, where people think communication is taking place. That's, oh yeah. you know, I always heard that. It's a, the biggest mistake uh, between two people when it comes to communication, Alex Mirabal told me that he's the offensive line coach at, at Miami Hurricanes. He goes, is the illusion that it took place. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of times, and there's an old school head coach, very, very legendary head coach that he'll make, when he says something to to a player or even a staff member, he'll just say, now what did I just say? And make him say it back um, to him. And they'll yeah. be like, well, you say, no, that's not what I said at all. And that's why I'm making you say yeah. it back to me because obviously we're, we're failing to communicate here. So um, I think you have to get really good um, in, in this era of college football. You have to get really good at saying I was wrong. You have to really mm-hmm. good at saying um, I apologize. You have to really good at saying I forgive you. You have to get really good at saying, you know, here's what I'm feeling right now. And this sounds really soft. And in, in, in comparison to the way we think about football and football coaches is it probably is 
but it's the most effective thing is, is, you know, people want to feel no matter what, no matter how much money gets thrown at this, this industry of sport, people still want to feel value, valued and they want to feel um, like they matter to you. Um, and I, you know, in the short span that I got to witness, you know, professional athletes in the NFL, that still mattered on the day to day. And those people yeah. were making life changing money, but it's still the only thing that seemed to move um, people was making them feel valuable and connected with each other. And every, everybody's saying that, but we're all, we're all me included fumbling through it. Mm. You know, the, the value part's interesting because at this point in college football, that's a conversation that actually involves the monetary <laughs> aspect yes. now. Yes. So like a literal monetary yeah. value, but I think, because that's not something that is necessarily accessible to so many, even kids in college football mm -hmm. from different levels of college football. Like there's more to the value conversation than just like the literal monetary value. Yeah. It's like you matter to this place and we can show you by this dollar amount. Like I think like you're saying, it goes deeper than that in order to actually have something foundationally. Yeah. You know, I think I, I was thinking about this before we got on here is like, I kind of, I psych myself out because especially everybody's trying to say the next like really insightful thing, you know, especially in like podcast culture. The know? good soundbite. Yeah. The good soundbite. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. trying to say something that sounds like really empathetic or really plugged in or really. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I, I gross myself out where I'm just like, who do you think? Shut up. You don't know anything. Like you just failed miserably <laughs> with that, with that player, with that person. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at right now. But I, I yeah. think, you know, it, it's, it's people 10 years ago, it was so cutting edge to say people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And, <laughs> and we beat that to death, you know, and now people are just saying it's about connection and relationships, but we're still, not digging into the specifics of what that mm. means. Yeah. And so I think what it happened, what you guys say, I love you, man. Like you can't just say, I love you to these kids. And they think that you love them. You have mm. to do it specifically. The only way that I can actually love you in a college football program. And I'm the strength coach and you're the player is you feel like, and you are able to say it was better because he was here with me than if he wasn't. Mm. That's the only way that you can say that I can't love you like your mom. I can't love you like your girlfriend. I can't love you like, like your blood relative. That, but we can, at the end of this thing, say that, that love was exchanged and it took place. But it's simply, I think it's the opposite. One of the things we're talking about this season is it. we've come full circle. Now, Kids don't care how much you care until they know how much you know. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the opposite where right. they only care that you care if you have something of value to help them. Mm. And I'm not saying that now that's a, it's a, it's an exchange. It's not. I was just going to say that makes it sound more transactional. It absolutely to a sounds transactional, but, but it's, yeah. but it's not because what you have to think about is they have this incredibly small window of opportunity to play on this stage and it's crazy pressurized. They are the, the most important 
person with their last name and their family tree. And everybody's dependent on them. And they are really riddled with anxiety and worried sick that it's not going to work out, mm. if that makes sense. So yeah. um, to be able to provide them something that increases the likelihood that this could go well is the nicest thing you could ever do for them. If that makes sense. I had a, yeah. when we were back doing some of the man child stuff, there was a conversation. I might've said it to you before, but it was, um, he was a, a, a medevac like rescue nurse on a helicopter. They do like okay. backcountry yeah. rescues for, um, like backcountry hunters in Alaska, stuff like that. Yep. Guys get really, yep. they fall, you know, mangled up bad stuff. And he goes, the better I get at my job, the more human I can be while I do it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, that's, yeah. what, and, and, and cause I thought, Oh, if I'm just really passionate and I tell these kids how much I care about them and I work really, and I push them really hard. And that's the thing, you know, Chip, who's been in this thing in this game for 38 years, he was just like, be really good at your job and be really, really good at the details and the specifics and just coach them like you don't yeah. have to tell them every moment how much you care about them just coach yeah. them really well and they're going to value that you were there around them coaching um and so that's that's what i'm realizing is because i think we i think we bastardized this whole we took that whole nobody cares how much you know thing and really ran with it and yeah. we've got a lot of people that want to want to be around sport, want to be around athletes, um, that they probably they don't know the material enough. Right. And they're and the kids, we, we say this, if at this level, if you're if you're cutting your teeth as a coach, the only people that get chewed up is the player you're working with. <laughs> so you, you, yeah. you can't just walk into the land of wolves and um expect to to learn something but you can't ever stop learning either if that makes sense i'm not trying to be this some sort of like intellectual thing is this this is these are experiences that i'm having this very moment well and it makes perfect sense because as i'm thinking back to like the two or three coaches that i had you know even either in high school or collegiately that i know made the biggest impact on me mm -hmm. they were the best at the job yes. first. You know what I mean? Like I would, it, no matter what it was, I wasn't, he, he could have motivated anybody out of the room to do anything, but it was like, okay, but he was going to tell me to do this. Yes. I know that it's actually the best possible thing to do in this moment yes. on the track or on the field, you know? So it's like, there's like, like you said, there's become this philosophizing of the job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people try to be the Ted talky kind of guy yeah. first instead of the, actual person that does the job well. And then the, like the other parts, like, yeah, now you have their attention. You better have something with it. You know? Yes. I, I think that that's, <laughs> it's the next frontier is the original frontier, which is to just be good at what you do. Be good. Yeah. I, I think, I think that that's the deal. I think if I, we talked to one more coach and I would listen, I, I was leading the cause of just like, I want to make a difference. I want to, I want to make an impact in young people's lives. And it's like, just shut up, dude. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's what do you, you know? Oh, thank God you're here. You're God's gift to, yeah. to coaching and football. And I think that that's just a naive <laughs> thing that, 
you know, a young raring to go coach goes through. And uh, now that I'm getting a little older and grayer and a little crustier, I'm just realizing that the only thing that I can do to help these kids is to be good at what I do and yeah. to treat them decently and fairly while I do it. But yeah, you can't, you cannot. And I don't think I, I don't, I was listening to um, those guys over at the learning lab. It used to be called train ugly, but that the, there's no real research on that. There's generations, like generation Z or, or, sure. you know, gen, uh, gen X or millennials. None of that. That's not a real thing. Yeah. Um, it's as we get older, we feel some kind of way about the younger generation, but mm-hmm. when haven't we wanted to know why we have to do something, you know, and when mm. haven't the, the person that was being asked, why are we doing this? wasn't annoyed by that so i think that's a that's an ancient problem ancient problem i think i think someone while they're building the pyramids were like yeah you kids today you just don't know what hard work is now right that's the easy thing to say (laughs) i think we're saying the same thing you know six thousand years later so but we are changing we we expect the same results from these guys on Saturday nights on national TV, but we are softening the standards to get there, which Mm. is a recipe for disaster, Mm. a recipe for disaster, you know, because the only thing that a young person doesn't know is, is consequences to their behavior. And so you, you're, you're trying to be the voice crying out in the wilderness of if you do this, this will happen. And you hope that you can can provide enough evidence and get them to to participate in what you're saying. Um, but that's a that that's the great challenge, I think. And yeah. we're making we're we're letting it's almost like child star syndrome. Where there's, and I'm sorry, the sun is coming. I even have the blinds down. I don't know why it's been. Oh, you're good. The, um, where you just, you let this, the talent make all of these decisions that are really detrimental to themselves, but you're not allowed to get in their way. And I think that that is a very dangerous road to travel down in college athletics and, and, you know, we, we won't, we don't want to be like that around here. Well, I want to ask you too, almost to get more technical on some of this stuff as we talk about, you know, just working on being good at the job at hand, like with you specifically being in the strength conditioning side of things. And then previously we're talking about now we have all these shortened timelines, like from a training and program perspective, has that changed how you guys have to put that stuff together too, as well? Or do you kind of generally look at it as a year by year case, even prior to all this stuff. Um, yeah, I think, I think you, when you think like, Oh, this in year one, we'll develop them like this and, you know, slow cook them and all that sort of, that, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, now you can't skip a developmental sequence and you can't ask more of a, of a player than, than they're capable of giving because you'll just, you'll hurt them or, or worse, discourage them. Um, and so you're trying to find what's the most aggressive developmental protocols that we can put together because you have one year to get this right. 
You have one year yeah. to get this right. One year to win, one year uh, to use this player because you don't know if you'll have them again um, because they might declare for the draft or, or, or not be with your team or, or whatever that is. So it's not like, oh, you know, another offseason under his belt. You have this offseason. You have this preseason. Yeah. You have yeah. this session. Um, and so that's that's what you have to uh, keep. That's our main, that's our focus, really. Do you think that there's like this, and I'm just, this whole portal thing has just been fascinating to me to watch it develop over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Do you think now there's like this level of, even though all coaches are kind of always recruiting, right? You, when Once they're there, like you don't really continue to recruit those players, but now almost do you feel like you have to just to keep them around if you want them around? Or how does that like building of that relationship go or, while they're there, you're also trying to be like, this is why you need to stay. This is why you need to stay kind of thing. Well, you, you, it's, you don't, you don't stop trying to keep your wife married to you after you marry, <laughs> right. after you marry right. her. That's a good point. You know, <laughs> but you don't say, you know, you're not going anywhere. Right? You don't just throw it in. You don't just say, let's say <laughs> you still want to be married, right? You're still loving this, right? Like you just, you, you're just trying to make life you know, livable and, and as pleasant as possible and that you, they want sure. to, they want to be in there and they want to create their life with you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really totally. no different than that. It's the ultimate recruiting challenge. You know, we can put on a dog and pony show. We'll do it this weekend. We got plenty of guys coming in here and we can talk yeah. that talk and we'll show you numbers and we'll say how much everybody's squat went up and vertical jump and body fat went down and lean mm -hmm. mass went up. We'll, we'll show all that kind of, that's the easy part. And then they show up. And the hard part is to to be what you said you were every single day, yeah. that whole Jordan Peterson yeah. thing, right? Your ideals yep. become your judge. And so all we do on a recruiting pitch is broadcast our ideal selves. And then when they arrive, it's our responsibility to follow through with that promise on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's not possible to do that perfectly every day, which is why I go yeah. back to you better be good at saying you were wrong and you, and, and you better be good at course correcting and you better be good at asking for directions because you're going to get lost because it is, it is murky out there. Yeah. You know? And so for sure. that's why we're, you know, here we coach Beamer's got this, this above all else, you know, love your brother thing, which is, it's a, it's the scripture above all else love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins um and if you keep digging back into definitions of sin there's a there's an archery term called hamartia and it means to miss the mark so we're not talking mm. about like you know the ten commandments in our football building but like when you miss the mark the the, the realization and the understanding from both sides when the miss has taken place that, listen, I was wrong and you know that I'm attempting to care for you the right way and I didn't there. That's what we mean by love. Above all else, love will cover that up. So, mm. you know, as there's, like you said, there's thousands of kids jumping in the transfer portal. Some of that's their fault. Some of that's the institution's fault that they're leaving. But what's happening everywhere at record paces in every, not just football, not just sport, not just, but just human interaction is since we're interacting so much more, 
And we're, we have access to so many more people than we ever have in the history of mankind with that device in our pockets and our, with our phones is we've never missed more either. Yeah. And so we, we, man, we miss a lot. And so, but instead of saying more sorries and more, I forgive yous, it's just more angry rants and, and, mm-hmm. you know, I was done wrong and this is screwed up and, we're, you know, we're, we're really good at being outraged and we're really bad at um, saying I was wrong or saying, saying, let's get this right. And that's, yeah. that's, that's the, I think right now that's the only chance you have as a, as a coach. I want to shift uh, a little bit off of the, I guess it probably is still tied into the football stuff as well, but um, the phrase that, has kind of become synonymous when I think of you as the one that's on a lot of the shirts that you've, that you've put out is yeah. struggle well. Yep. And there's been a lot of stuff that I've seen you do uh, <laughs> in the last year plus like with Bert and your mm-hmm. guys's boys doing stuff with the kids and stuff, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, and I think when we did it last time, you had just done like the first shirt that had that phrase on it or like you were just yeah, yeah. coming around to doing it or something like mm-hmm. that. So I want to just go like, tell me about the phrase yeah. struggle well and, and what spawned it and where it came from. Yeah. Uh, so, and you, you think, I, I think other people have said the phrase before and I don't have the trademark sure. on it and I hope nobody sues me or something here soon. Yeah. Get on it. If there's not, <laughs> I know. Uh, but I was, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I told this story or not, but I was, um, you, when, if you're in this thing long enough and this, you, you get fired. Um, and so I got fired and was out of football and, and um, was helping my friend. Um, he, he gave me a job. I, I say helping. He was helping me because I was so horrifically bad at it, um, trying to pour concrete. And so, you know, dumb laborer, like that's, that's me, like, you know, breaking rocks in the hot sun. Cause I have no skill set of finishing, you know, those finishers and skilled tradesmen are they're real dudes. And so yeah. when people think that whatever that is, that stigma that that's looked down upon is absolutely absurd. Um, I was just lucky to be able to have an income at the time, but you come from, you know, let's be honest, you, you get this thing can be high profile and people, no one wanted me to be on their podcast when I was pouring concrete. I would say like, okay, <laughs> so, um, and, you know, money's tied and you feel like a failure and you don't know, you know, one of the scary, scary things is it's so hard to get into um, high level football whether it be professionally or, or at the collegiate realm that you, you don't, if you're out, you don't know if you'll ever get back in. Right. And so I'm kind of in the middle of all that sort of stuff. And so almost as a cathartic process, we came up with this, this man child media project where I could just write and talk and interview people that are doing really interesting things like yourself, you know, be, people that fish all over the world, hunt all over the world, people that do epic jobs, people that, you know, take boats to Antarctica, like that, that medium, that man child project allowed me to do all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the common theme that I realized with those people um, and what I was dealing with at that moment was you can do 
anything you want if you are down for how difficult it's going to be um, mm-hmm. and how uncomfortable or how poor you're going to be or how long it's going to take or how how disappointing it's going to be or how sad it's going to be or how much of a letdown it could potentially be. Um, and all of those are just synonymous terms with that word struggle. So instead of trying to do everything you possibly can to avoiding those those bad feelings, what if you just got really good at them? What if you got good at dealing with disappointment? What if you got good at setbacks? What if you what if you did those things well? And so that was just like, you know, because I I wanted a sort of mantra that went with this idea of being a man child, because being a man child is kind of what got me into the situation I was in. I was proud and arrogant and and over the top and ridiculous. Like I, you know, like men tend to get, um, but really it's acting like a child. And I was not childlike in, you know, asking questions and being curious and, and, you know, saying I was sorry and I was wrong, like a, like a child, the best things about a child. So it was, it was sort of a play on words of a life experience that I was having in 2019 and because of the way that I behaved, everything was a struggle at that time. And the only way out of it or towards back to what I wanted out of my life or my life with my, for my family was, was to do those things well. And so it was just a capturing thing. And then, you know, yeah. I always, when I was a kid, I would just, I, I didn't want to be, I was convinced that I was a cowboy. So that's what (laughs) the old, those old Wrangler logos, you know, with the rope and that was just kind of a a tip of the hat to, you know, tip of the hat, no pun intended, but that, that struggle well is basically like who are in, you know, who would you go be if you, if you went back and talked to your 12 year old self, Who, Mm. who are you supposed to be by now? You know, because your, your 12 year old, you was convinced that that's who you were going to be. And you weren't waiting to ask for permission. You weren't trying to get people to approve of that. You were just that guy. And on, you know, Monday I was Batman and on Tuesday I was Indiana Jones. And on Wednesday I was a cowboy and on Thursday I was, a, you know, whatever it was, an astronaut. So it was, and, and be, everything felt like it was on the table. And somehow I think we let ourselves, slowly settle in to well let's just have a good job and this house yeah. makes sense and this is a neighborhood that'll probably appreciate you know and we'll be able to make some money and listen we i talking to myself i need to be more responsible when it comes to all those types of things but all that settling you 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 lose that kind of burn inside you and all of a sudden it becomes about everything's about creature comforts and doordash and and having a, a an easier meal and a tastier whatever, and I mm-hmm. it, that wasn't your main priority when you were dreaming big, and so I think what I think what keeps you connected to your 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 life's passions and your your heart's purposes and all those kinds of things, and you know, not trying to you know staying away from phys- philosophical guy is those struggles, you yeah. know I, I really do. So how did you guys take that and then 
make it a literal physical thing that you guys like you and Bert are now doing what we're doing with your boys and that kind of stuff. I mean, you had them out there doing all kinds of stuff and, yeah. and so yeah. <laughs> like all kinds of stuff. So like, how did you take that from a parenting perspective to make sure that like your kids are understanding those concepts as they grow up too? Yeah, I think it's, Cause my oldest is four and a half. Yeah. And like, so we're just now yeah. getting to the place where he's like wanting to do a bunch of, like he's got all these activities and he goes to like, he's learning how to shoot his bow. He's going to archery leagues and stuff with me in, in once a week. But like, so I'm now just in this place where I'm like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is where I can start seeing a lot of this stuff yes. starting to take shape. Yes. You know what I mean? I think, and now I've done a lot of it really, really wrong, but I think we are, we greatly underestimate how rugged we are as human beings and how rugged children are and, and boys. Um, and we are super, super, we're more protective of kids than we've ever been ever. I'm not saying let them go play over the barbed wire fence and all that kind of stuff. Don't be stupid, <laughs> but they're sometimes, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they need to kind of, fall and and road rash their hands off their bike sometimes they need to you know my jay's we got him in wrestling right now and he's yeah he hates it (laughs) (laughs) he's terrible at it because he doesn't know anything and i think instead of you know more so hey dude figure this thing out man while you're sucking back tears and you're embarrassed because you're getting whooped up on more of that, less hitting instructor. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. and because there's a humility that it instills in your kid that there's a kid out here that can beat the dog mess out of me right now. And so he has to humble himself in front of that kid. I watched it last night. He has to humble himself in front of that kid to learn something. Yeah. And the answer isn't to just be like, well, he didn't like it and let's let him – you know, let's let him explore something else that he can have more success. Like, why does he have to have success in everything? Why? Yeah. Why can't we have more facilitated failure? Not failure that feels like random acts of violence, because that that's that's how you do it wrong. And I've done that right. to where you've just right. all you've done is create unlocked new fears instead yeah. of exposing them to scary stuff and then trying to give them some feedback to the response that they're feeling, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, holding your breath. If you can get that, get over that, you're going to suffocate. You actually have a whole lot more time down there than, and you learn that by getting familiar with that new difficulty. And so just the more things that you can expose your kid to the hardier you make that kid. And hardiness is a very undervalued quality because, and it's, I get this weird like feedback loop of 18 years daily. So I see like, okay, I see the inception of this behavior at 10 years old. And then I go to work and see what it can turn into if you don't do anything about it. Ah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? And it scares me (laughs) probably to my son's detriment as I overreact to it. Sure. Um, because I'm like, you're not going to be like that. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I think I've told you this before, but I always think nobody steal this idea now. I mean, it's still in the works, but I want to write a children's book that's it's called The Never Know Troll. And it's a sweet little boy that never gets told no. And he turns into a monster 
and like <laughs> so good. And then you know, while he's tearing <laughs> so buildings good. down, somebody just goes, "Hey, no, you can't do that." And then he shrinks yeah. back down to this sweet little boy. And sometimes I have those experiences with big time named athletes, and they're freaking out and they're going crazy. And you just you give them a little bit of boundaries and say, "You're not going to act like that." And then yeah. that that sweet guy that they really are can kind of come out. Um, and so I'm just, I'm, I am looking for not, not just like being a, a sicko to my kid, but just like <laughs> looking for experiences that scare them, that make them cold, yeah. that make them hot, that make them tired, that make them, um, sad, that make them scared, that make them feel nervous. Like I don't want, uh, a kid that like I have to speak for when we go to a restaurant. I don't want a kid mm. that can't look at someone and say hello. Like be just be a human being. But like how do yeah. you make somebody a human being is you expose them to the all of the different human experiences. Some are good, some are super fun, you know, but like I think we think, you know, oh he had a bad day today. Like great. You know, not like Jocko Good. Like that's not what I'm saying. Right. Like, he <laughs> right. needs to have. He needs to have some bad moments, and it's okay. Yeah. And you're there because it's 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 way safe because you're still there to be there while right. it's bad. And you're not. You don't have to. And I'm learning this. You know, Chip. Chip helps me with that because he's 30 years into this fatherhood experience. Because I'll get rageful and just be like, "No, you're sticking in." You know you're going to stick with this. And I can't, they cry. Like I said, Mm -hmm. just being like very, very patient, you know, like I think, um, you know, that's a biblical thing. You know, Paul's crying out, God, take this thorn out of my side. And he just says like, "Uh, my grace is sufficient. Like I'm going to let you suffer (laughs) for a little while, you know? And now he didn't scream at him like you're soft or whatever. And so I just kind of try to take that sometimes and just like, it's, it's okay. It's okay if yeah. you sprain your ankle. It's okay if you if you tweak your knee here. It's okay if you know you pick up something that might be a little too heavy right now. It's okay if we jump off this boat into this water that's really cold. It's it's. I'm not saying we do this all the time. And give me don't get me wrong, guys. He's got a long way to go before anybody calls that kid tough. But that's you know mm-hmm. that's the path I want to lead him on. I want him to be around a whole bunch of different people. The cool thing about football is he interacts with, um, you know, he comes in our, around our players and stuff like that, and he meets people he would have otherwise never, ever met. He'd never yeah. talk to somebody from, you know, Miami, Florida that doesn't look like him or he would or somebody, you know, so someone that's really, really wealthy or someone that's that their, their experiences were completely different. But I want him to be able to have the potential – to connect with people from all walks of life and also be familiar with all different kinds of, of experiences and, and just, you know, the proximity that we're in with Bert right now and, and living here is just a really, really, and then the age similarities that our kids are. And so we're like, let's, yeah. let's do some of this stuff together. And that's, what's been really cool. That's cool. Uh, we had a, we had a funny, experience in in this regard with my oldest recently you know i'm up here in in idaho where it's been below 40 degrees for a month and a half already you know right and my my son he is just like 
and I, and I've told my wife this a bunch of times, like, I don't want to quash this quality in him because it's going to absolutely serve him when he gets older, but he is like so strong willed and determined and just straight up stubborn sometimes like that's going to be good for him in the future. Mm -hmm. If we foster it well, Mm -hmm. like you don't want to just destroy it. But one of the biggest like back and forth we have is about like, wearing clothes sometimes like what <laughs> kind of clothes are a pro not just in general like putting things on but like what's appropriate yeah, for the yeah, moment yeah. you know what i mean and so like it'll be six degrees outside and he'll want to go outside in a t-shirt and his pants and no sweatshirt or coat or anything and and we just go back and forth with him we're like look man this is going to be terrible like we want we want you to be warm like the cold's not necessarily going to kill you right now yeah. but it's not going to be we want you to be warm we want you to just go into school get in the car like yeah. whatever yeah. and it just turns into this thing and like i remember several times times already this this winter we're just like you know what fine yeah like go do it see how it feels because it's not going to be fun pretty soon when it's wet and you're freezing and then like both of those times in recent weeks he's come back he's like i need my coat and my gloves (laughs) and i'm like that's what i'm telling you man but yeah but like now look we we know what we're talking about every once in a while but like having those moments where he goes out and he's like oh this kind of sucks but Mm -hmm. like dad was right here you know what i mean yeah man 100 you're 100 percent all right you know, I don't. I do a lot less arguing with my son than my my wife does because I'm just like, okay, then just then die. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> die. Whatever. If he dies, he dies. Like, you know, I just like I'm wearing shorts today. I'm like, well, that's fine. You're gonna look stupid, and nobody thinks you're the big stupid idiot kid that doesn't understand anything. So go ahead. I don't care. You know, like I'm not. I'm not I don't do it right all the time. I don't do it right. I do it. I, I do it nineties style. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, dude. It's been fun because like I said, he's getting to this point where he's really interested in trying all these things. And we've talked about, um, you mentioned your kid like wrestling and stuff, which is cause I always want him. It, wrestling wasn't something that I was in when I was younger. Me either. Oh, man. Um, and I wish I would have been, Me too, man. you know, and, but ever since these last few years, when I took up, jujitsu like my kid sees me doing that and so we're going to start him finally with that i think in january and so he's been real pumped about it so he's like already and sometimes you know again context dependent tries to pull some stuff on his 17 month old sister and i'm like dude she's barely walking around now chill out come do it to me but i think the physical part of this um is such a huge part of the stream because you had talked about like understanding and controlling you know, your mental capacities in times of hardship and, and things that you were doing emotionally to make sure you're in check. But the physical part of this, obviously being in the space that we're both mm-hmm. in professionally, like we understand how important that part of it is to develop the mental part yes. of being yes. good at dealing with struggle. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the most, um, you know, now in competitive stuff with a team like it's i don't you have to be good enough <laughs> like yeah. you have to be good enough yeah. at the sport right yep but it, do, or it doesn't matter how uh mentally tough that you are but once there is a a leveled out level of ability then that's that's everything um and then i think in more so applicable in the in normal day-to-day life is it's you know how how crazy hard would you try at this for mm. whatever you said you want to man it'd be really cool if i if i could 
you know, get a look at that job. It's like, okay, well, have you called everyone that you've ever known that might know that person to call them? And I'm like, well, that would be awkward. Okay, well, then I guess it being a little awkward is is more important than you getting your dream job. Like, mm. would you drive there tomorrow night and leave your wife to pack up the whole house? Um, and you'll see her in two months. Well, I don't know. Well, then, it, then it's not your dream job. Like, so right. it's, you know, I think like, willingness is a superpower and so like and you know there's a lot of people more talented than me um they look bigger they look stronger they're more impressive physically looking at, on a recruiting visit but i'll my i'll do i'll do things you you're not willing to do for mm. longer than you'd want to do it and so if you can and, and the only way that I've learned that is just being in a whole bunch of really desperate situations that, uh, and then I got out of them and I'm, and I'm like, okay, how did that happen? Well, I attribute that to just sheer effort and will and sure. stupidity and tenacity. And so it's, it's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and I think that training should at least introduce yourself to yourself and like that you know what i mean yeah. um and 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 I've, I've probably taken it too far sometimes but it it no one no one that did really really hard stuff um and understanding why they had to do it regretted having done it when it was over Right. You know, they, they certainly complained before it and during it, but no one regretted it afterwards. You know? and almost the opposite. Like it's looked back on fondly. Yes. You know, it's not just like this neutral thing. And I always think back and maybe it was, I think it might've been Steven Ranella talking about it in context of hunting mm -hmm. where he's like, we've had these trips where, uh, you know, we look back on a trip to Disney world or whatever. And you're like, you don't remember the moment that you went down the roller coaster is like one of the happiest moments in your right. life. But the moment, because it was fun in the time and it was all stuff, but he's like, we look back on hunts where it's like we hadn't eaten in three days and everybody's miserable and it rained and it, we were just so ticked off and wet the whole time. But these like f 10 years later, right. it was like, that's one of my favorite memories yeah. of my whole life. Yeah. I, I, there's no debating that that's true. I'm not sure why, why they, they sort of like age into you like them, you know, with time, yeah. I don't know what that is. Like, why can't we, why can't, while it's happening, we're like, man, this is, this is awesome. This is the good stuff. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> right. some of it, you, you can learn how to do some of that now, like failure and setback and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, it's, it's a very icky feeling, but then afterwards and you're like, well, oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think that, I think that that's really, really important. Man. I think, I think a lot of the times, you know, with young people that I see that haven't been, they've had a lot of setbacks. So they've had, it's not like they're like, Oh, they've had a silver spoon in their mouth their whole life. No, they've, they've, right. they've experienced real trauma. And I think that it, trauma has so many different definitions, but I, I, when someone it trauma to me is like bad stuff and you didn't know why it happened. Sure. And if you do enough of that, it makes, it makes someone feel like, 
Um, the world is a, is a terrible, terrible place that wants to kill you. So get what's yours and get out, which is sure. that's being a sociopath. That's being a cutthroat pirate. And I've seen a lot of like trauma induced pirates, you know, and so the only way that I've had any experience is to make somebody that everyone's deemed selfish or doesn't care about anybody or, well, he, it's very good reason that that guy behaves that way because that's the only way that stopped this random violence from happening to him. So he shut that part of his brain off, which is also responsible for empathy for others. And so, but when you make someone's pain experience a pain mastery experience, now they are, it's no longer happening to them, but they're making it happen. They're now, the, mm. they're, they're, they are once again the captains of their own fate, you know, Invictus style. And that's how you can make somebody feel like it is safe again to care about other people by doing the inverse relationship of it's, it's, it sounds almost downright cruel to take someone that's been through a bunch of bad stuff and then they come to you and what do you make them do? You make them do a bunch of other types of bad stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like do hard stuff is really having a moment right now. And that's the next mistake we're all about to make. Like yep. the next mistake yep. is, is saying do hard stuff without a, really knowing what we're talking about like let's be <laughs> right. careful with that you know and with no context as most things with no get context and, and just yeah. another picture of an ice bath and then we're all <laughs> like <laughs> relax everybody uh but there's gotta be some there's gotta be some shared um uh, feedback and understanding of why that just took place and I got that. That was a conversation, and I'll never forget it, man, is with Angela Duckworth. She wrote Grit, and I would say that, that probably that research sort of projected this whole do hard stuff event that we're seeing in, in culture right now. Sure. Is she said when, when that, that's, that's where I, I've heard the concept of a pain mastery experience because there were all of these. Um, she, they were taking these, it was the outward bound like organization where they take kids living in inner cities and they're really, really struggling in school um, or they're, you know, almost some misdemeanor crime, stuff like that. And they were taking them to just really, really wild, harsh places, um, cold and, and, and putting them through really, really dangerous stuff and hard, difficult, like out, outdoor things, you know, backcountry excursions and things like that. And what they were finding out was it, it turned on all of their senses because it was so novel and yeah. it, they were so in it because it was so difficult. And then the result was, was expert guided, like meaning there was someone that had been there, done that. And it was, and they were showing those kids, here's why this went like this. And so if that's what I'm saying about the mistake. If we just say do hard stuff to everybody and, yeah. and basically the equivalent of if I just blindfold all these guys and kick them in the nuts, they, they just resent me and hate hard things. 
Right. Well, dude, there's people that pay eight grand for a weekend to go get verbally and physically abused by former military yeah. guys. And it's like, exactly. that's, exactly. You know that, I mean? that's a whole other thing that, you know, right. you're having, that's, you know, that's, ther- that's a therapist visit in its own time. That's a whole deal. But if I can, if I, okay, let's facilitate the difficult thing. And then as, as coaches, as people that are supposed to know what we're talking about, let's interpret the result to them that they can receive. And then if you change this about this, this experience will be different. And then eventually something that was really big and really scary and really terrible is now an accomplishment and Holy smokes. Yes. I I am in charge of how hard and difficult things are. And I almost get really excited about them because I used to be, I can recognize what I used to be in somebody else. And I see, I see them being really scared and anxious and, you know, competitively, that's an edge for me or collaboratively, I can come alongside this person. And now I'm even more endeared to that person and I'm more connected to that person. So these are the ways that we're trying to, in the fastest way possible, get people connected as a team is these, is these pain mastery experiences and taking the same concept as, as what these what these people were doing outward bound with, with, with inner city students and doing it with a football team and little micro doses as often as we possibly can. It's awesome, dude. Well, man, we're rolling right up on an hour. That was a pretty, that was, an good, di- that was a good, that was a good dismount point too. <laughs> um, before we do, before we go, uh, I have to say, because I'm a giant fan of the office the sh- the skit video oh, that you all did in the preseason of that scene running in front of the speedometer thing on the road was so nailed perfectly like shot for shot of it too dude i just i don't think i had to i don't know if i messaged you about it yet or not but i had to tell you because it was it you nailed it <laughs> yeah that's all the the guys with the creative media team and so good and their idea and they they nailed it man they did that's so good fun. well man uh thank you again my friend for making time today it was good to catch up and and hear how things are going and just get some more conversation time with you dude i really appreciate it thank you thanks for having me on keep doing what you're doing um stay warm out there it sounds cold it's not like that here but uh that's awesome (laughs) man so good stuff awesome thanks luke i appreciate you of course thank you